family, you're finding with me the book of Psalms. Psalm 136 will be our text uh, for this morning. We'll begin to read in verse number one for a few moments this morning. I will speak to you on this sad subject, the source of all blessings. The source of all blessings. Psalm 136, and we'll begin to read in verse number one. Now, I'm going to ask you to do something a little different that you won't normally do. And I'm going to ask you to, to help uh, me read this this morning. Uh, it'll be a responsive reading. And so I'll read uh, part of the text. And when you see, for his mercy endures forever. Now, some of your translations may say endureth. But to be in unison, we're going to say endures, okay? So when you see that part, then you're to say, for his mercy endures forever. Don't let me down. Here we go. Verse number one says, O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures. O give thanks to the God of gods, for his mercy O give thanks to the Lord of lords, to him alone who does great wonders, to him who by wisdom made the heavens. To him who laid out the earth above the waters. To him who made great lights. The sun to rule by day. The moon and stars to rule by night. To him who struck Egypt in their firstborn. And brought out Israel for among them. With a strong hand and with an outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea in two. And made Israel pass through the midst of it. But overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who struck down great kings and slew famous kings. Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to Israel, his servant. Who remembered us in our lowly state and rescued us from our enemies. Who gives food to all flesh. Oh, give thanks to the God of heaven. Let's pray together. Father, we praise your holy name this morning. Father, we're so unworthy and we're so undeserving. But Father, we give you thanks for your great and loving, merciful, loving kindness that you've shown toward us, Lord. Father, and that you sent your Son, Jesus, to die in our place. God, that you sent your precious Holy Spirit to convict us and draw us to the place of salvation. Father, that you gave us an opportunity to choose Jesus to be Lord of our life. And Father, we pray this morning that your, that same Holy Spirit would move about this place and would speak to our hearts concerning what your will is for us today. And Father, I pray that you'll stir us and remind us about where, really where the source of all our blessings come from. God, I pray that we'll never be so in love with the blessings that we're not mindful of the blesser. 
And Father, I pray this would come to a time of invitation, that which you desire to do in men and women's lives today, little boys, little girls, youth, Father, that are here today, it'll be done as we yield ourselves to you. Have your way now. We'll give you thanks. It's in Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen. And I'll invite you to be seated. You know, as Thanksgiving approaches, uh, many will be guided by and return to family traditions for the day. Many of you will be on the road heading across the river and through the woods to Grandma's house, and some of you will do just like us. You're going to stay right at your house, and you make your own traditions and your own memories. But for whatever it will be, Thanksgiving will be Thanksgiving uh, for you this year. Uh, but really, we've really gotten away from what the first Thanksgiving was really all about. It's been lost in history, and not surprisingly, uh, many liberal outlets today have, try, have tried to, to change Thanksgiving into a day of terror and make it into something that it really historically wasn't. History shows us that the first Thanksgiving really took place in the fall of 1621. It was after those first pilgrims, 102 of them, sailed across the Atlantic and landed. They had a hard first winter. Almost 50% of them died during that first winter, more of exposure than starvation. And after that first winter there in the spring, God, through his providence, allowed them to make relationships with some of the Native Americans who began to teach those pilgrims how to live off the land and how to survive. And those who had sought religious freedom, they didn't forget the one who got them through the winter and who got them through the summer. And in that first fall in 1621, uh, Governor William Bradford gathered all the people together for a time certainly to eat. But more than that, friend, and far above that, it was an opportunity to have a worship service, to read God's Word together, to sing hymns of praise, and then just to stop and pray and to give thanks to the Lord. And we need, we need to remind ourselves, not only at Thanksgiving, but every day of the year, that God and no one else, friend, is the source of all of our blessings. The author of Psalm 136, he knew this. Look what the Bible says again in verse number 1. Of Psalm 136. The author says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Oh, give thanks. Literally, in the Hebrew, it means uh, to give thankfulness, uh, to, to give uh, a heart and attitude that is thankful. You know, if you're not really thankful, but you say thank you, it's just empty words. And so, what the Bible here is saying, look at verse 1, Oh, give thanks. It, it's to give words that are backed up by heart and attitude that truly is grateful and thankful for what God has done. But, but to whom does this thanks go? Well, he continues, oh, give thanks to the Lord. Uh, the Lord is to be the receptor. He's to be the object of our thanksgiving. You know, this, this coming Thursday, uh, if the Lord wills, uh, that morning I will fix an apple pie for my family. And I love apple pies. It's, it's my favorite dessert uh, to fix. Fix it in a cast iron skillet. Uh, and, and, and I love it. I love when it bubbles over in the oven and you can smell it throughout the house. And I love it with two, three, and possibly four scoops of vanilla ice cream. Just melting all down over it. And you just, for, for one day a year, you just go to bed bloated, you know, and just hope you survive to the morning. I'm thankful for the apples. Apple pie wouldn't be apple pie without the apples. But friend, listen to me. I'm more thankful for the tree. You see, I wouldn't have the apples if it wasn't for the tree. You see, the tree is the source 
of the blessings of the apples. And we've been blessed with so many things. And we've got so many things to thank the Lord for. But we don't need to forget, friend, that it's God who is the source of all of our blessings. And the author of Hebrews, he knew this. He says, oh, give thanks to the Lord. And he's going to begin to name many different things that he's thankful for as God's worked in the history of the nation of Israel. But he says, give thanks to the Lord for, for he, is, he is good. Uh, James chapter 1 and verse number 17, uh, James says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. James, remember that all of the good things that we have in life, they come for the Lord. He says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. But notice what he says now. He says, His mercy endures forever. That, that word mercy uh, it comes from the, the Hebrew word hesed. It occurs 248 times in the Old Testament. 149 of those times, that Hebrew word hesed, it is translated mercy. But don't miss this. 70 times of those 248, it is literally translated kindness or loving kindness. And so the author understood when he was praising God, he says, praise God for his merciful, loving kindness because it endures forever. It wasn't just mercy that he was holding back something that the people deserved, but it was merciful, loving kindness that God was showing toward his children. It was, there were acts that the psalmist was going to be reminded of. It was going to remind the, the, the readers. And really, this was a hymn. You say, well, I, I wonder what it was like to be a part of a worship service back in the day uh, when, when psalms were being written. You were just a part of it. Someone would read those things, and then those who were there would gather in in unison and begin to say, for his mercy endures forever. Verse number 2 says, Oh, give thanks to the God of gods. The author says, There's none above, there's none beside, there's none before like our God. Certainly the nation of Israel knew from their history that the people had served many false gods, but there was only one God that was worthy of worship and worthy of all praise. For His merciful, loving kindness endures forever. That's what it literally translates. So give thanks to the God of gods. For His merciful, loving kindness toward us endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, to the sovereign ruler. Israel knew what it was to be taken into captivity. They knew what it was to experience hardship when they sinned and God allowed them to be enslaved. But they knew that there was one Lord, there was one Sovereign, there was one King. And so the author gives praise and honor to the source of all blessings now, don't miss this, for five distinct acts of merciful, loving kindness. He gives thanks to God for His, number one, perfect creation. He's going to begin to launch into this hymn, and, and the first thing he's going to praise God for is for His perfect creation. Creation. Look what the Bible says in verse number 4. To him alone who does great wonders. Verse 5. To him who by wisdom made the heavens. Verse 6. To him who laid out the earth above the waters. He says, uh, we, we praise the Lord for his uncomparable power. Verse 4. To him who alone who does great wonders. Verse 5. He speaks of the intelligent design by which the earth Came about. It says, to, to him who by wisdom made the heavens. The, the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 16 says, For by him, this is Jesus, 
all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, and things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. What does that mean? It means that Jesus, friend, is the glue of the galaxies. He's what holds it together. And friend, listen, no, listen. we ought to take care of the earth, Friend, I'm telling you, the, the number one problem facing our world is not global warming. Friend, listen, the world's not going to come apart until Jesus says he wants it to come apart. And so we ought to take care of it, and we ought to be good stewards. The number one threat to our world, friend, is men and women who don't know Jesus Christ. They don't know the Creator. They don't know the one who through perfect creation spoke the world into existence. Listen to what the Bible says in verses 6 through 9. It says, To him who laid out the earth above the waters, to him who made great lights, the sun to rule by day, the moon and stars to rule by night. You don't hear any sense of chaotic chance that there was a glob of uh, matter that floated along out in space and just happened to bump into an asteroid. And somehow that turned into a cell and then into a snail darter and that evolved into where you and I are today. Friend, all you see through the creation events recorded in the book of Genesis is the intelligent plan of a sovereign God who said, let there be, and there was. And so the author gives praise for God's perfect creation. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 31. After God had created everything, the Bible says, then God saw that he had made everything, everything that he had made. And indeed, it was very good. There wasn't anything wrong with it. The Bible declares, though, that God made it and that it was good. And the author says, we praise your name for this perfect work. Mark chapter 7, verse 37, the Bible says, for he does all things well. Friend, listen, the world may be in a sad state, but it's not God that made it that way. Man did and sin that resulted. And so the author of Hebrews, as he looked into the trees, as he felt the wind in his face, as he sat down on a rock and felt the warm sun beat against his breast and warm him up, as he, as he heard, as he heard a, a squirrel start barking on the tree limb, as he heard children's voices and just felt the joy of God down in his soul, he was moved to say, praise God for his perfect creation, for his merciful Loving kindness endures forever. Not only did he give thanks for God's perfect creation, but secondly, he leads us to give thanks for God's plan of salvation. There's his perfect creation, but secondly, there's the plan of salvation. Now the author of the psalm turns to God's redemptive work in the life of the nation of Israel. Look what the Bible says in, in verse number 10 of Psalm 136. He says, To him who struck Egypt, in their firstborn, and brought them out of Israel from among them, and with a strong hand, verse 12, and with an outstretched arm. Well, what's he talking about? Well, he's talking about when God led the nation of Israel out of Egypt. Remember, the Bible says in the book of Genesis chapter 1, there arose a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. At the conclusion of the book of Genesis, uh, Joseph's brothers have been reunited with him. Jacob has been reunited with them. And now they're a happy family. God placed Joseph upon the throne. The brothers meant it for evil, but God used it for good. 
And God had a plan. So for 430 years, though, after they'd been enslaved, they stayed there in Egypt. And that's where God began to make a great and mighty nation out of them in number. But friend, it was time for them to be redeemed. And God called Moses. And God sent Moses there. And Moses went and spoke to Pharaoh and says, God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh wouldn't let the people go. And so God had a plan. He was going to send plagues upon the nation of Israel that were to cause Pharaoh to see God's power and to let the people go. But don't miss this. They were also to cause the nation of Israel to trust God for the Jews require a sign. And so God was working in the hearts and lives of both sides. But Pharaoh hardened his heart. And because he hardened his heart, then God hardened his heart. He crossed God's deadline. And God came to Moses and said, I've got a plan. I've got a plan. He will surely let you go now. And in Exodus chapter 11, God revealed the judgment of death. God said, I'm going to strike all of the firstborn. And surely that had to trouble Moses. It had to trouble Aaron. It had to trouble all those dads and those moms and to think, well, what's going to happen to our firstborn? Are they going to die also? If all the firstborn in Egypt are going to die, we're in Egypt. What's going to happen to our children? Moses shared with them the message that God had given him. God says, I've got a plan. He says, on the 10th day of the month, Exodus chapter 12, you're to take a lamb. Every house is to take a lamb. You're to bring that lamb into your home, and it's to be a part of your home. It's to dwell among you. And on the 14th day of the month, you're to take that lamb, and you're going to kill it. And then you're going to take the blood, and with a piece of hyssop, you're to strike the doorposts of your house. And the Bible says in Exodus chapter 12, verse 13, when I see the blood, he says, when the death angel comes, when I see the blood, he says, I'll pass over you. And so he began to think about that and to remember that if it hadn't been for the blood of the Lamb, they would all certainly have died in the judgment of death. Well, friend, I want you to know that you and I, we stood in need. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. The soul that sinneth shall surely die. For the tree of knowledge in the midst of, in the, midst of the garden thou shalt not eat up. For the day thou eatest thou off, thou shalt surely die. And the judgment of death stood against us all. It's appointed the man once to die, and then the judgment. But God had a plan. The Bible says in the book of Revelation, chapter 13 and verse 8, that Jesus Christ was the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. John chapter 3 and verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, His Lamb, that whosoever believed in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 says, But God demonstrated His love in this way. While we were yet sinners, Christ, died for us. And the blood that He shed on the cross, friend, I can take a hyssop of faith as I repent and I can attach it, friend, to the doorposts of my heart. And one day, friend, when the judgment of death comes against my life, God says, I'll pass over you. God had a plan of salvation and I praise His holy name for it today. Praise the Lord for the plan of salvation. But not only that, friend, there's protective demonstration. There's protective demonstration. There's God perfect creation, there's his plan of salvation, but there's, there's also his protective demonstration. Look at the Bible says in verse number 13. They've been led out. God has led them out of captivity. They've been set free by the blood of the land, but the enemy's not done. They begin to walk out of Egypt, but the Bible says in verse number 13 that to him who divided the Red Sea, 
to make Israel pass through the midst of, verse 15, but overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea. The enemy wouldn't let them go. Pharaoh, because of his pride, said, I'm going to destroy those people. My sons died, but now they're going to die. Well, friend, God had another plan. And God said, those are my children. He said, and I'm going to protect them. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse number 3 says this, But the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. And so as they began to move on their journey, there the Red Sea was in front of them. Pharaoh was behind. God said, well, I made that sea. Those winds and those waves, they'll obey my voice. And God just put two unseen hands, friend, there and made a way for them to escape. And when Pharaoh came behind, God said, we'll just close up behind. And he destroyed the enemy so he couldn't harm his children anymore. Friend, I'm so glad that from day to day, there's an unseen hand that's guiding me. The things that I don't even know, friend, when, when, when I, what, what I see is delays and inconveniences. I'm learning as I get older, friend. It may be the protective hand of God that's keeping me out of trouble from down the road. But more than that, friend, just physical prote protection. I'm so glad for spiritual protection that God makes a way. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and in verse number 13, No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. Listen, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. By who? By the enemy. By the devil. By the enemy of our souls. Listen to what the Bible says. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. What's, what's Paul saying? Paul says, friend, that as I'm on my journey, God's led me out of Egypt's captivity. No longer does sin have a grip on my life. But as I follow the Lord Jesus, Luke 9, 23, I've taken up my cross. Daily I'm following Him as Satan tries to ambush me, to tempt me, to cause me to lose my testimony, to become controlled by some sin. I'm so glad just like God opened the Red Sea and made a way for Israel to choose to go through. The Holy Spirit of God, friend, sees what the devil's doing and says you don't need to go in there. You don't need to listen to that. You don't need to say that. You don't need to look at that. You need to turn in the other direction, friend. The, the Apostle Paul says, friend, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Thank God for His protective hand and His protective work in our life. There's an unseen hand. So not only is there God's perfect creation, His plan of salvation, and His protective demonstration... But also now the author gives praise for God's promised animation. His promised animation. We're talking about animation. We're talking about life. God had promised them that they would have life and life more abundantly. In their connection classes on Sunday morning, we've been studying about the life of Abraham and Sarah and the promises that God made them. And we see that especially laid out in Genesis chapter 15 when God really began to lay out those covenant responsibilities, but what God was going to do in Abraham's life and through Abraham's life. And God reminded the nation of Israel of this, and they were going to be led out in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 17, where the Bible says, And I have said, I will bring you out of the, the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and to the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites to a land flowing with milk and honey. What was God talking about? God says, you're in Egypt now. 
You're going to go on a journey. It's going to be on my time schedule and by my map. But there's a land that you've never been to on the other side of Jordan. He says that, I, that Abraham's already seen. He said and it's going to be the land of promise. Well, what is that? Well, that must be heaven. I've listened to gospel songs, and it's talking about crossing Jordan. That, that must be heaven. No, friend. When we're looking at the promised land in the Old Testament, that's not a picture of heaven. It's a picture of the abundant life now. The nation of Israel was going to cross over Jordan, and the promised land was where they were going to serve God now here on this earth. He, he praised God for His promised animation, the life that he had for them. Look what the Bible says in verse number 17 of Psalm 136. He says, to him who struck down great kings. Well, who are those kings? Well, just start at Jericho and then ultimately move on to Ai and just continue to move along in the book of Joshua and see every king that God struck down, the walls that he tore down, the armies that he defeated. Why? Because the land belonged to the children of Israel. All those other nations that were there, they were just getting it warmed up and revved up till they got there. That was the mind of God. And the land's still theirs today. God says, I, the, the author of the Psalms 136 says, God struck all these down. Look at verse 18. It says, He slew famous kings. All of those who thought, well, there, you know, there's nobody that'll ever run us out. Look at all the great and mighty things that we've done. God tore them down. Verse number 19. Sihon, king of the Amorites. Og, King of Bashan, verse 21, God gave all their land to the nation of Israel as a heritage, a heritage, verse 22, to Israel, his servant. All the land belonged to them. Listen to me. The only people that could keep Israel from experiencing God's best in the abundant life that he had for them was not the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Termites. It was the nation of Israel. Friend, thank God for the abundant life that we have. John 10, 10, the thief comes but steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus says, I've come that you might have life. John chapter 3, verse 7, Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. That spiritual life, I've come that you might have life, but also life more abundantly. God's got a plan for your life. I want you to hear me this morning. I want all the young people to hear me this morning. There are so many voices. They're competing for your attention and telling you what you need to be happy and how you need to think and the way you need to look at life. But friend, I'm telling you on the authority of God's Word, listen to me. You cannot experience God's best without a personal saving relationship with Him through His Son, Jesus Christ, and then through a life that is wholly surrendered to Christ's Lordship. You've got to come to your place, friend, that you just lay your life down and say, God, I don't, I don't have any dreams anymore. I only want what your dreams are for me. I don't have any plans anymore, God. I only want what your plans are. When the nation of Israel experienced the most joy is when they simply walked in God's plan for their life, and it's no different for us. Thank God for His promised animation, the life that can only be found in Jesus Christ. But not only did God dismantle and, and open up a way for those people to enjoy all of His blessings there in the promised land, but He also provided while they were there. They had daily needs. God created them with an appetite. They had needs. Their family had needs. Look, skip down to verse number 25. He says, He who gives food to all flesh. 
Their, their ministry was to be fruitful and multiply, to train their children in the strength and admonition of the Lord, to, to, to raise godly generations so that in the fullness of time, when God was ready, Christ would come through the seed of David. That's what they were to do. And so in order to do that, they had to live. God says, I'm going to take care of you. He gave food to all flesh. And friend, that just encourages me, again, to be so surrendered and to remember that the Bible says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, that God will meet all my needs according to His will in Christ Jesus. But now we've got to be careful that you don't get needs and greeds confused. Hello? God will meet your needs, and He'll take care of you. If you'll be a wise, a wise user of all the things that God has given you, friend, then you'll have enough for everything that you need in life. You'll have enough. And so you won't have to sit around and worry about where this is going to come from and where that's going to come from. I'm just glad, friend, that I know in the days, I know prices are skyrocketing. Loaf of bread's $5. Gallon of milk's 12 Gallon of gas is $20. That's what it seems like, isn't it? But friend, listen, David said, I've been young and I've been old. I've never seen God's seed beg for bread. The church ought to be the very people that aren't going nuts. doesn't mean we have to like it. But we've got to be reminded, friend, listen, God will take care of his people in these days. No one likes inflation. If you do, you're nuts. But God's going to take care of his church. Look what the Bible says. Who gives food to all flesh, God will take care of his children. Be thankful for that. And praise the Lord for that in these days. His promised animation. There's his perfect creation, his plan of salvation, his perfect protective demonstration, his promised animation, and I close with this, his providing resuscitation. His providing resuscitation. Remember in Leviticus chapter 26 and in Deuteronomy chapter 28, God had spoken specifically told the nation of Israel, I'll bless you, I'll protect you, I'll take care of you if you'll be doers of my word. If you'll love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and honor me, just be faithful to my word, I'll take care of you. But Leviticus chapter 26 and verse number 14, there's that three-letter word. What is it, Wednesday night crowd? But. If you don't do that, he says, I'm not going to protect you. I'm going to allow nations to judge you. I'm going to send pestilence among you. I'm going to hold back the rain. I'm going to pull down the borders so the enemy can sneak in. You're going to experience chastisement because whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Deuteronomy chapter 28, remember the book of Deuteronomy, it's the book of remembrance. Prior to Moses' departure, Joshua, tag, you're it. You're the man now. God was reminding them, trying to disciple the people, if you will. And Moses told them the same things over again. And then with the dedication of the temple, we saw in 1 Kings and in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, God said that there'll be a time if you turn away from me, you're going to experience, you're going to experience my challenge, challenging hand, my disciplining hand. And so in verse number 23 of Psalm 136, look, look what the author says. He says, you know, praise God for his, his merciful, loving kindness endures forever, who remembered us in our lowly state, and who rescued us from our enemies. What's he talking about? He's talking about God's reviving touch. 
He's talking about revival. He's talking about when the nation of Israel remembered how they got there when they came to their spiritual senses and they began to really repent from their sin and turn back to God. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 13, God says, When I shut up heaven and there's no rain, I command the locusts to devour the land. When I send pestilence among my people, if my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and then turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and will heal their land. And so the psalmist says, God, thank you that you remembered us in our lowly state. Here, here we were. Here we were. Uh, you know, we've been cast off. We, in 722 B.C., God, we've experienced your chastisement through Assyria. 586 B.C., Babylon carried us off, destroyed the temple. But God, when we turned our hearts back to you, you remembered us. You didn't forget us. Verse 24, and then when we repented in your due season, you rescued us. From our enemies. Friend, I'm so glad, sadly, if it has, when it happens. Sadly, when it does. When the child of God turns away from being obedient to the Lord. And God takes us to the woodshed because whom the Lord loves, He chastens. You say, well, God doesn't take me to the woodshed. Well, friend, it might be because you're not His child. You better check your birth certificate. Whom the Lord loves, He chastens. And when you sin, if you belong to Jesus Christ, He will wear you out. Can I get a testimony? He'll deal with you because you belong to Him. But thanks be to God, friend, He just doesn't put us in time out and forget about us. He remembers us in our lowly state. And His heart, friend, is that our heart's going to break, that we'll repent, we'll concur and say, God, you're right, I did it then we'll confess our sin. We'll turn from it. We'll turn to the Lord and we'll seek His reviving touch upon our lives. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What's that process? It's revival. It's revival. It's, it's spiritual resuscitation. Listen, if I faint here on the floor... Don't laugh at me. Somebody come up here and revive me. I know some of you are going to be the first one to try to slap me in the face. Let me, let me hit him. Probably Alice Faye. Let me, let me slap him. Pray for me before you do it. But when somebody faints, we don't let them just lay there. We try to get them back. We want to resuscitate them. We want to see them back where they were, vived, living. Friend, it's the same thing spiritually. Thank God. God, there's the opportunity for the child of God who has failed and fallen and who has been chastised when we repent to, to, to receive God's spiritual touch and experience revival. Thank God for that. Look at verse number 26. Oh, give thanks to the God of heaven for His mercy, His merciful, loving kindness endures forever. Friend, look at me. We're blessed. Blessed to live in America. Blessed to have a church family that loves the Word of God. Blessed to have a church family that loves the Lord, that really wants to be a true book of Acts, great commission church. Matthew 28, Acts 1-8. We're so blessed. But friend, all of these blessings, listen to me, they didn't come from us. 
They didn't come because we pulled ourselves up by the bootstraps or because Greenwood's always been this, 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 and this. Friend, every blessing we have comes from one tree. The source is Almighty God. And like the psalmist, we need to be reminded of that today. Verse number 26, read it with me. Oh, give thanks to the God of heaven, for His mercy endures forever. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, I pray, if there's one among us who've never been saved, that God, even right now, they'll choose to trust Jesus Christ. They'll experience your redemptive plan personally. And by faith, even right now, God, they'll choose to apply the blood of Christ that was shed for them to their heart so that when they die, they won't experience the judgment of death in a place called hell, but they'll go to heaven because they have a relationship with you. If you've never been saved, you've never done that. You've never by faith trusted Jesus to be Lord of your life. He died for you. He loves you. He's the lamb that was slain just for you. Won't you choose right now by faith to trust Him to be Lord of your life and simply tell Him so. Just like this, in a simple prayer of faith, you've got to make it with, mean it with all your heart. Tell Him so, just like this. God, forgive me a sinner. I believe you died for me. And I trust you today. I trust you today. Through your shed blood, I trust you because you rose from the grave and you're alive in heaven listening to me now. I trust you to come live in my heart and be Lord of me. That's my prayer. Did you pray that prayer for the first time ever and really mean it? If you did, I want to invite you in just a moment to make your way down to the front because I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you in what God wants to do next in your life. Friend, are you grateful or ungrateful? You just become so apathetic and indifferent to all the blessings in your life that you even stop and you really forget who the source of all those blessings are. You see, when you remember it won't just be thanksgiving that marks your life, but it'll be thanksgiving. You'll live every day in such a way that demonstrates you truly have a heart that's grateful for all that God has done for you because you acknowledge you live for Him because He is the source. If you've gotten over that, maybe your prayer needs to be this. God, forgive me. God, forgive me that I've gotten over, I've become dull, I've just gotten used to all of the blessings that you've so lavishly given me through your merciful, loving kindness. Forgive me. God, I want you to revive my heart today. And Lord, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for all your goodness. You're the source. You're the author. You're so good. And you're so good to me. And God, as a result of that, I want to serve you every day with greater devotion and greater commitment. I want my life to be marked not by thanksgiving, but thanksgiving. Lord, you speak to your church. You know the needs there in every heart, every life. You know us, God. You see into the crevices of our heart the things that we think no one else can see. God, you do. You see the real us. So Holy Spirit, I pray you'll convict we're needed. You'll draw. You'll speak to our hearts. Whatever your will is for us today, we will respond to it. That you might accomplish your best and your purpose in our lives, and you'll do it right now during this invitation that we pray will not be wasted. It's in Jesus' precious and holy name we pray, and amen. Let's reverently stand to our feet. Heads are back.